All right, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome into episode 7 of the Council, show where we review and critique news topics and segments in the world of professional wrestling. My name is Pretty Tony, and alongside me is TF Joker. Joker, what's the crack? Crack's 90, as always. Been a good week of wrestling and sports entertainment. So, you know, I've been, uh, been quite thoroughly enjoying it, actually, since uh, the last time. Last time we spoke, it was uh, a week of let's hope for some good wrestling. And, you know, we actually got what we hoped for. Yeah, a lot, a lot happened uh, this week, uh, specifically stuff we'll get into. Uh, large pay-per-view which, uh, this past weekend, as well as big shows. And uh, at the time of recording, uh, there'll be another pay-per-view tonight. But as of the release of this, it'll be last night. Yeah, I... Uh... We'll definitely be going to bed before it comes out, so I will watch it tomorrow. But uh, yeah, Money in the Bank is uh, is going to be going on tonight. What about yourself? Are you going to stay up to watch it? I know it's probably not as late for you that it airs, but... If anything, like I'll, I'll probably be working on uh, stuff for this episode, but I might have it on in the background, and then potentially when I get a little bit of time, I'll uh, probably, yeah, I'll probably watch the, uh, the pay-per-view. So. Mm-hmm. You might not miss much. It's fine. It's only <laughs> money in the bank. Yeah. Well, you've uh, based on last week's episodes, again, we have our predictions out. So based on a programming piece, again, because these will come out uh, day one-ish. These come out on early Sunday for most folks. So uh, money in the bank is on a Saturday. So that is why we ended up doing the predictions last episode. Have we figured out why this was on a Saturday? I don't remember it ever being on a Saturday like last year. Unless I'm just um, really so I think the long and short of it is, if I'm not mistaken, um, feel free to let me know in the comments down below, um, is this Money in the Bank is in Las Vegas. So uh, this is supposed to be part of potentially International Fight Week, big part of in mixed martial arts. Uh, it's kind of like their sort of WrestleMania-ish week. So uh, WWE wanted to get in on some of that sweet action, baby. So they ended up having it, I guess, on the week, and it kind of worked out. I guess originally the huge stadium was available on Saturday, and then uh, something, something, they ended up switching the venue to the MGM Graham, if I'm not mistaken. Cricket feels are bad. Salute. Um, but yeah, so I think that's why it was... Uh, on Saturday specifically to kind of get in on some sense. of that festivities. So yeah, that, that, that does make sense. I, I completely forgot about that whole, uh, that whole fight week and it makes more sense that it's not on a Sunday because they would get absolutely clapped, uh, if, um, they were put up against anything else. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think in parlays to kind of what's going on locally in the Las Vegas area and kind of, yeah, to get a sort of as much weekend foot traffic, as possible, Saturday makes more sense than Sunday. True. Cool. All right, so as we get into the episode proper, before we do, uh, as a reminder, you can find us in video form at youtube.com slash kfabecouncil and in audio form wherever you get your podcasts from. On this week's episode, we look at Blood and Guts, the double steel cage match featuring the Blackpool Combat Club and Friends 
facing off against the Jericho Appreciation Society. And the AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling Forbidden Door thoughts and takeaways. But coming up first. Blood and Guts. So this has been obviously hyped for the last couple of weeks going in. Uh, we saw a little bit of the fallout happen through uh, the go-home uh, episode of Dynamite and into the last portions of Forbidden Door. And then we saw it uh, in the middle of a very, very hectic week for wrestling. So, Yeah, it was... Um... I think hectic might be too nice of a word. Like there was definite chaos going on uh, this week. What with um, getting everybody sorted out for Forbidden Door, getting all the uh, getting the go home show completely sorted so that we had actual matches, uh, and then um, even WWE sorting themselves out for Money in the Bank. So there was a lot of really random stuff crammed into this one week, which uh made it made the out the outcome of it all really really good um but blood and guts uh just, just first and foremost it is a very uh well-named uh situational it's, it's, it's not a pay-per-view but it's a situational event um i love it it's just great <laughs> i do i do like the notion of it because again i'm actually kind of okay with aw having or maybe five pay-per-views sort of a year. Yeah. It's not overkill, but they do have sort of special big-time episodes of Dynamite. Yeah, and obviously makes, Blood and Guts being one of them. pay-per-views like a big deal. So whenever they happen, like they do a big blow-off. They have these special matches, these marquee things that go on. Um, I do like, like you said, like the four to five um, pay-per-views a year that they run, as opposed to the every single month. Yeah, it makes it feel a little bit more special and not kind of like ham-fisted in a sense. So as we get into the uh, match proper here, we finish off with the introductions. We started off with Sammy Guevara and Claudio. Starting things off here, Claudio goes for a big giant swing, but, Gar uh, uh, but Garcia comes in as the next entrance and cuts Claudio off. And then uh, we end up having Yuda enter to even the odds, uh, and he's crushed Garcia with the repeated Germans before doing the same to Sammy. Uh, and then we end up having Hager come in next for the JAS, and he took out Wheeler Yuta with a slam. And then here, the two big men, Claudio and Hager, uh, took out the smaller opponents with throws and then faced off in the ring, a la a rematch from the 2014 Survivor Series kickoff show. Claudio got the upper hand, but the big man, uh, but the man advantage goes to Garcia, who got involved with the JS to take over. So huge kind of hot start to this match. Yeah, this yeah. the start was definitely uh leading to how it was gonna go on. Um with uh I, I wasn't expecting Claudio to be first, and it should he have been first, which he was. Uh I wasn't expecting Sammy Guevara to be the one that he'd be going in against, but the pairing was really good. I liked a little bit of keep away um, that Sammy Guevara ended up doing, bouncing off the ropes, get away, do we buy? Not always a Sammy Guevara fan these days, but you know he's um, he, he he does have the skill. 
and uh, yeah, uh, I think the um, whenever whenever Danny Garcia came in and it went to the break, uh, there were chants from the crowd, "We want Wheeler." Uh, it was, it's like either we want Wheeler or we want you to whatever it was. I I I was just smiling from ear to ear because Wheeler Yuta then came in. I was just like, yes, this kid's just absolutely going nuts, um, getting those slams in. Uh, he has prominent points throughout this throughout this match, which I really like. He wasn't just there because if you think about the name brand of practically everybody here, uh, practically everyone in the match is a bigger deal than Wheeler Yuta, but you wouldn't have been able to tell because he more than held his own. Um and even got the we want Wheeler chance. So, um, but yeah, whenever uh whenever Jake Hager and uh Claudio Casagnoli, formerly uh Cesaro, met in that ring, locked eyes, there was chance of we the people, and um, I kind of cringed a little bit, but it gave me gave me a little bit of a smile too. But they uh they did end up. Knocking seven, uh, seven shades of stuff out of each other, which was uh, which was always always good fun. I do like it. Makes sense to me upon looking back at it that uh, Claudio as well as Sammy kind of starting it off because both guys have really great cardio work. Um, so if you're thinking about uh, guys that can go the distance, um, now upon reflection, it does make sense for them. Um, you know, obviously Claudio can go. He can he can do a bunch of spots. He can kind of pace out potentially like a swing or his maybe like a UFO or kind of some of those big pieces, um, you know, and then a uh, nice dynamic again, having sort of a big Haas type guy and sort of a, a smaller agile guy to kind of help start early and then kind of pace it through. Yeah, definitely. Like now that you point that out, it, it is one of those things that you can't really do. You can't blow him up. Like you can't uh, take away from the conditioning that he has. Uh, he is one hell of an athlete, and uh, it does make sense that he was the one to start. Um, it was just the interesting pairing, because I feel like Sami had those lulls, uh, a little bit more so than uh, than Claudio did, but let's face it, like it was just a really good pairing, and the way they worked the match coming up, and, and who came in next, and I thought it was really, really well orchestrated, and uh, it led to a very, very satisfying uh match overall yeah let's go back to the match moxley comes in for his side and he hits the x-plex on sammy and uh, then took out garcia claudio bulldogs hager onto a chair moxley produced a fork and carved up garcia's forehead claudio beat down guevara right in front of tay conti and then moxley and yuda hit a heart attack on garcia who is gushing from a cut on his forehead I'm a Danny Garcia, like just the the camera panned to him, and you just saw him spitting out his own blood. He was like thousand yard stare, kind of going blood coming straight down his face. You're just like, oh damn, that's great! Like it's a great visual, but again, you're like, oh dear, <laughs> he just got a gusher. Uh, Moxley introduced uh, something to this match that. The previous competitors didn't uh didn't really um not necessarily need but they didn't necessarily expect it to come so rapidly and that was chaos because he introduced uh a factor of 
violence that it was it was already pretty good. Like there was good wrestling going on. The violence was pretty tame. It was pretty down here. And then all of a sudden Moxie comes in and we're like, okay, there's wrestling going on, but it's actually violent. Um and it was just so good though. I don't know. I don't know what Moxley does to just just his his presence brings out uh the very violent tendencies, especially of Wheeler Yuta, which I, I really like to see. Yeah, I think um, the aspect of Wheeler and John playing off of one another, obviously speaking to their history and kind of how things went about, per se, I think it was kind of cool to kind of see them, obviously they're teammates within the Blackpool Combat Club, but then come together for something like a heart attack, and then we'll get into some spots uh, later in the uh, in the segment here. But yeah, I think it was, uh, it was a, sort of a nice touch, and again, the elevation of John coming in and then just sort of all right, we're going to we're going to kick it up a notch sort of rather quickly and obviously it'll continue to escalate, but yeah, when you have a match per se named Blood and Guts, I think there's a little bit of an expectation from the fans to say, okay, there's going to be some things that are going to go down. Yeah, that little uh that little uh thing of saying turn it up to 11, that is pretty much what um what Moxie does with the violence in this. He he turns it right the way up to 11. Um, and it was it was completely uh, completely hysterical whenever you just look at him going and grabbing things and what he was doing to people like the fork. Come on, <laughs> just just digging in. I think it was uh, Daddy Magic's forehead, or was it was he in yet? I can't remember who who was stabbing, but he was stabbing somebody with the fork anyway. And you're just like, okay, Mox, calm down, like. We don't. You're you're in this ring two seconds, and you're already trying to just carve off somebody's forehead. Um, but it was the the uh, the JAS did an absolutely wonderful job of um, of taking the punishment uh, that was dished out by the by these boys. It really did feel like even though the JAS had the advantage because they had the the, the two on one advantage and the man advantage going forward. Um, it still felt like there was really no danger. And this was a Black Bull Combat Club match the entire way through. There was no big spot that I can think of um, where I was like, oh, this actually might be close. It was always, no, BCC's got this. As we see Angelo Parker coming in next for the JAS, but his opponents were firmly in control. And he just ran away until I uh, finally got cornered. Claudio crushed him with a gut wrench suplex. Finally, the other JS members recovered and attacked their opponents with weapons, with Hager smashing Claudio's ankle with a chair. Ortiz evened things up for his team and ran wild. Moxley hit a pile driver on Angelo Parker onto broken glass and then busted him open. And then Matt Menard entered the match and smashed his opponents with a chair. Moxley was then subsequently busted open. Yeah, so... Just before Ange got into the ring, all of BCC had their had themselves a little a little partner, and they were all giving it beans with the hammer and anvil elbows. Like they were just you just the, the camera panned over, and you saw Moxley kind of slow down a bit and look across and go, "Oh, fresh meat!" And uh, you know everybody gets up. Ange comes in, he starts to get, starts to get into that ring, and then plays cat and mouse. And he did really well until the cameraman got in his way, and that's how he got hit by that gut buster, um, or that gut wrench suplex, whatever it was. Um, it was really, really good. Like there was nothing else he could do, but <laughs> the glass, 
yeah, oh, that, that. Because he did. Not only did he do the pile driver onto the glass, PT, he took a bit of, bit of the glass and started uh, digging it into someone's forehead, too. Uh, the crimson masks were were flowing uh, this day. But it was, I don't know, there's just something that was just still super good about this, uh, about this match that even though the JAS, like I said, were on the, on the brunt of all of this, this damage, this violence, they were still so good. Like, they were able to get back into the match every so often, almost, uh, you know, uh, almost break the ankle of Claudio. Fair enough. Um, little spots here and there that were really good. But um, yeah, that, that, that glass, that lives in my head now. To your point, I do appreciate that it wasn't completely one-sided. Obviously, you, you spoke to the JAS having the man advantage. Um, in terms of entrance into the Blood and Guts match. Uh, but there were portions of when uh, the Blackpool Combat Club side was was kind of dominating, and then you had uh, the JS was then uh, getting some spots. So it, there's a propensity of one side is sort of overbearing. It can be like a little too much and kind of like, um, okay. And then you almost kind of like feel for the for the guys, even if it's the bad guys, who are getting beat up you're like man these i kind of want them all right let's let's cheer them let's go you know people being beat up and being taken advantage so yeah but at least again it was um there was some parody and uh at least even though now that again we spoke about earlier that the violence is sort of escalating uh bit by bit there was uh it was a bit of back and forth and it was not one-sided yeah and i feel like that was really lent to the fact that it was jas that got the advantage um, this was built for the Blackpool Combat Club being the ones to have the eventual lead going so far, uh, so far through the match. Um, and I feel like it definitely gave the JAS some, uh, some staying power in the match. Otherwise it would have became one of those where you were like, ah, um, I kind of feel like the JAS might pull this one out, boys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was still really, really good. We get a We Want Tables uh, tables chant, and thankfully Santana obliged upon entering the match in addition to bringing in a barbed wire baseball bat. Santana runs wild, but when he goes for a urinagi on uh, one of the uh, the JS members, he, uh, he appears to hurt his leg legitimately. Uh, Moxley then grabs some skewers and stabs them in Menard's forehead, but Menard uh, stopped that attack with a low blow. Yuta and then Garcia peppered each other with some stiff slaps. Yeah, so I watched that bit back a couple of times with Santana. He came in, you know, all guns blazing. It was really, really good. Uh, he brought the barbed wire bat in as well. And you're just like, all right, he's just going to go wild, going to go ham, start beating some folk up. And um, yeah, like whenever he went for the Uranagi, his left knee, his left leg didn't kick out. It got caught. So he ended up going down on top of it and it went in and it didn't go out. So he went in, the body went on top of his knee, he went on top of that and he he might have just popped something in his knee. Uh, either way, he rolled uh, out to the side. You could hear Eddie saying something. I couldn't quite make out what it was. Um, but he rolled to the side and he was there for the rest of the match. Unfortunately, they couldn't get him out. Um, 
Yeah, it was a little bit unfortunate to see Santana get injured so quickly into the match, but it was good that then people were made aware and didn't actually go after him or anything. Uh, but the, with the lull in the uh, in the carnage, as it were, yeah, uh, Wheeler Yuta and Danny Garcia, two guys that will be uh, fighting it out in years to come for the AW uh, title, just knocking seven shades of stuff out of each other in the middle of that ring. Going hell for leather, hell hell for leather. It was great because the cheers they got, like these are two guys that are well on their way to, to absolute stardom, and these factions that they're in are uh, are helping that. Yeah, it was uh, off to a hot start when Santana came in again. Yeah, when he went for that Uranagi, it's just his left leg was either he, you know, planted it wrong or just got stuck or whatever the case may be. But yeah, just kind of, um. When I kind of saw it and and he sort of rolled to the side of the cage and, you know, talked to the refs and everything, I almost thought a little bit about like Hunter back in 2001 when he planted his foot, his left leg, and then just, you know, ripped, ripped the quad. So, quad. yeah, so you can definitely tell it was like, ooh, normally when you hit a Uranagi, you're either you're either going to stand and sort of drop your opponent or you can do like the rock bottom or the bookend and like fall Kick with both them. Legs, e- like fall with them. Yeah. Either like, you know, plant on your knees or, you know, plant on your stomach with them. So it's usually something of that nature. But when I saw kind of one, one, he kind of like went down to one knee essentially. And I was like, Ooh, there's something was rough. So yeah, that was a little disheartening. And then obviously he uh, was off to the side, uh, we hear later on uh, after the match was finished that uh, he ended up being kind of uh, helped escorted to the back mm-hmm. by uh, by the medical team. So uh, we do hope that Santana is, you know, is okay and that he can, uh, hopefully it's not a huge injury and he, uh, he can get back soon as well. But yeah, to your, to your point again, just Yuta and Garcia just going ham on each other and, and getting that reaction. I'll agree for sure. Obviously with, Wheeler being the Ring of Honor Pure Champion, um, and Danny Garcia being the PWG World Champion right now, them being yep. showcased in AEW in these factions alongside uh, bigger personalities and kind of bigger folks kind of sitting under those learning trees of guys like William Regal and guys like Jericho and and being surrounded by the different characters and, and different guys. That, yeah, it's definitely helping them for sure, kind of hone hone their craft and get a little bit more well-rounded, for sure. Yep. All right, we see now Jericho was the was his team's final entrant. He came in with Floyd the Bat. Ortiz immediately took him out with a DDT and choked him with a chair. And then we cut to a parade of big moves, concluded with Claudio <laughs> running wild, but eventually Jericho cutting him off with a code breaker. Yeah, Jericho coming in and just start swinging for the fences was was really good to see because I thought he was going to play the the sort of um, coward esque cowardly heel uh, that might want to run away, stay away, um, and not try and get involved because he knows Eddie's coming in after him. Um, well, to be to his credit, he did come in. He started swinging the bat, took took a couple of moves, and like you said, managed to uh, cut Claudio off at the uh, at the knees, as it were. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I do. I do like the fact that sort of 
the the whole precipice and kind of proponent of this whole matchup was Eddie and Chris yeah. with them kind of being just kind of spouting back and forth and then they had the match um essentially where Eddie won I uh, you know he he ended up uh tapping him out or submitting Chris Chris would not shake his hand or show him respect and then they're kind of going at each other uh he ends up aligning with Blackpool they're setting it up type of thing so again remembering that this this kind of started with, you know, Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho just not getting along, and then sort of grew from there. So again, it made it made sense that Chris came in, and then we will then subsequently see Eddie come in. So I do found it was important for that. Yeah, it was. It's definitely one of those uh, storylines that has come along and been more interesting. Uh, what could have been just a throwaway sort of side glancing story has uh, kind of now encompassed with the injury to CM Punk has now encompassed the world title as well uh with um with that being on John Moxley so i can i can see these guys having an awful lot more to do with each other even though this section is done the finale to this match definitely leaves it open to uh to hot debate as to what way this is going to end up going sure we see the official start of the match occur when Kingston enters, and now unofficially, uh, copyright trademark, we can't say that the match beyond begins, but now that Kingston is the last member of his team and all entrants are in, the match begins. Casually beats down the JS with kendo stick, uh, a la the uh, Darth Vader style. Darth <laughs> just <swat>. Kingston just <laughs> killing swat, younglings here. Swatting away, guys. Uh, Jericho tries to escape the cage, but is cornered by Kingston, who smashed him repeatedly with the stick. Uh, Kingston produced what appeared to be rubbing alcohol, but was cut off before he could use it. Yeah. What's better than seeing Darth Kingston come through? Like, legitimately, that first swipe, I let out a laugh. I, I, I could not stop laughing. Just one swipe. One swipe, get out of my way. I can see, I can see Jericho, and um, yeah, whoever it was that uh, was on the other side of the ring, I don't know if they just couldn't fall away quick enough or whatever it was, but him and Hagar were just stood there, like taking these shots, and he just starts going nuts. And you're like, okay, Eddie's Eddie's in his GTA boss mode, like uh, you know, whenever he walked down with that gas canister, um, it's just. If he was covered in blood, that he would look exactly the same uh, in terms of I'm coming for uh, for Chris Jericho right now. But, uh, oh, oh dear, it was just, I, I was so happy to see Eddie get his hands on uh, on Chris Jericho and, in this match because it was just violence. Like, I thought Moxley turned it up, but, you know, uh, it's the running joke. Does Eddie know, does Eddie know wrestling's uh, not, re wrestling's not real? Not real. Um, <laughs> I'm never going to be the one to tell him, uh, you know, or insult him like that because wrestling is obviously his life. You know, it's, it's real. It's real for him. It is his life, of course, you know, but uh, there are some moments where you are scared for everyone involved. <laughs> the storyline aspect of, again, him coming in last, Allah, and then Jericho coming in last, but that when he comes in, the intensity on his face locks eyes with Chris, who's in the other ring. And just doesn't break eye contact. And again, with the kendo shot, guy comes for him, boom, swats him away. Second guy comes for him, boom, swats him away. 
gets caught up with the third guy, but again, it's just he's laser focused on Chris. And just even that that first like ninety seconds of him being in the match, absolutely just so good. Tremendous storytelling. Yeah, there's um there was a, a shot of him, I think when Santana got into the ring, as soon as Santana got into the ring and he was doing all his stuff, it was a shot that panned to Eddie. He was just holding on to the ring and he was just staring. And you could tell he wasn't looking at anybody in particular. He was staring straight through to Chris on the other side because Chris wasn't in yet. You just saw this intensity. And I was just like, oh, he's going he's gonna to actually try and kill Chris. I, I can see this happening. Like, okay. Um, just let him in, please. <laughs> Let's see what happens. So we see here the Blackpool Combat Club's team was uh, is firmly in control, and they powerbomb Hager through a table set up between both rings. Yuta and Moxley produced multiple bags of thumbtacks as Claudio and Ortiz exposed the ring boards. Moxley suplexes Menard onto the tacks, and Parker was practically strung up by the ankles in a relatively nasty spot as he tried to escape and ends up getting... Uh, through the, uh, not the lattice, but the uh, the structure there and gets caught up by his ankles. Support area. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the truss. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for, the truss. Uh, and then Kingston and Jericho are going at it. Uh, Kingston got the upper hand, but Jericho took him out with a fire extinguisher. And then Conte got involved and took out the official leading to Ruby Soho coming in and brawling with her and taking her out. Yeah, um, cool, cool hand Ange definitely had a really, really good spot here. After the aforementioned uh, tax and stuff went down um, and taking you know, even more damage to the face, he was like, I need to get the heck out of here. And it was great. He must have seen that he could get through. Mm-hmm. He crawls through. I saw a fan video on Twitter uh, where he crawls through the truss, like literally just gets in, crawls through. And that would be amazing because you know I, I'm a I'm a big guy and that would kind of scare me that I'd get stuck. Um, so like he just gets through and he's about to climb out, and then all you see is Yuda come along, climb up the inside, and just stick his boot through and just boot him in the face, and he sells it so well. Ange, Ange and Menard are two of the MVPs of this match for me for their selling, for their absolute. Uh, trust in everybody here and Ange just lying there just hanging out for I don't know how long until he managed to get out and get free because you know there was other stuff going on at the time we didn't really see it wasn't really focused on very well but um that was definitely one of the highlights for me for him uh that he was he was selling this uh this extremely good match I do like the fact that sort of each person i mean there's 10 guys in this match again and it was given the entire second hour of dynamite so obviously there's a lot to a lot time to fill but then also a lot of things to do but i do appreciate that sort of everyone kind of individually got like at least one or maybe two things in there that you kind of like oh yeah and then this is what you know uh daddy magic matt menard did and here's something that you know i remember angelo parker uh and type of thing so i do appreciate that for sure definitely and then we see, uh, of course, obviously, uh, to help even the odds, Ruby Soho just coming in and a uh, longtime friend of Eddie Kingston, both in kayfabe and in shoot, uh, coming out to help even the odds with uh, with Ty Conti on the outside. So that was kind of cool. Nice a little, yeah, nice yeah. little storyline piece to help there, kind of, because it was like there was, obviously there was a promo beforehand. I think it said that she was friends with them and stuff, and like yeah. you know, the, the, 
on all this here, and she came running down after Tyconti uh, ambushed the, the ref and got Chris out. Um, so that was really cool to see, obviously, the interference of Tyconti, how she was going to do that, because that led to them getting on top of the uh, on top of the cage, which was something that I was wondering, how are they going to do that? Because that has to be a spot up there. Yeah. Um, and then Ruby coming down and uh, uh, beating her while she's scrambling to keep her skirt down, which I find hilarious. It's just Tyconti just not even defending herself, pulling her skirt down. It's like... Yeah. Don't wear a skirt that short, then, please. Come on. Oh, you gotta, you gotta look good for the uh, big show, there, brother. It's not hard for her to look good. She's, she's a good looking, she's a good looking person, all right. But if you're, if you're trying to defend yourself from getting a beating and you're a heel, don't wear a skirt if it's gonna be a belt. Ironically, that's good heel heat because they're just like, I don't care that you're kind of beating me up. I, you know, I just gotta keep my, just gotta keep my looks in. So. Don't want anybody to see my butt. Yeah, so uh, we then cut to Jericho escaping the structure and climbing on top of it. Kingston pursues him all the way to the top of the Blood and Guts cage. Uh, they end up fighting, leading to Kingston nailing him with the uh, Urakin, which is the back spinning fist. Uh, and then uh, Sammy Guevara climbs up too and then gets cut off, cutting off Kingston from attacking Jericho. And then probably the most memorable segment from this match, Kingston hits Guevara with a low blow and then tosses him off the top of the double cage through a table at ringside. I don't remember Sammy Guevara falling off a tall structure. What do you mean? You don't? Um, so, no, 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 this is pretty... No, I think I'd remember that, but I don't remember... No. Of course, uh, you know, like, the one thing Sammy Guevara does really well is fall off the big tall thing. Um, I made a joke a few weeks ago about how uh, Sammy said that he was well known for the ladder matches in AEW and I made a quip that he's really only known for getting injured in them uh, so the fact that he volunteered for this spot with Eddie um, sure okay cool it was um, like I said there was always going to be a spot on top of the cage it was how we were going to get there who was going to be the last time it was Chris that took the plunge and uh, we all know how that went uh, with, you know, an awful lot of salty fans saying, oh, it's it was stupid, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, OK, you get on top of that cage and see how you like falling off. Because just just sure stand 20, just stand 20, 25 feet above the ground just for starters and then go from there. I, I am scared being as tall as I am and I'm not very tall. I can tell you what. So, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that Sammy. Uh, took the low blow, took the plunge, um, did a flip in the air as well. It's not like he just fell over, did a flip, landed on the timekeeper's um, cushioned, uh, cushioned table. Uh, and for, for anybody who ever wants to fight about it, it's like, oh, you know, it, it, it's so, you know, it's so stupid. Why do they have cushioned things? It's like, it's really good that they have these things cushioned because we don't want what happens to Mick Foley to happen to anyone else. Like, it's all well and good. You screaming out, by God, he's broken in half. You know, mimicking JR. You know, people falling off cages, falling through cages. We, we now know, or rather, we are more aware of the fact that we need to protect these people and that as much as it's fun and, and we're, we're saying it's really good, the violence in this thing, but nobody needs to fall from a 25-foot, 30-foot cage onto the concrete floor without some safety precautions. These guys are professionals. They have to be treated like professionals. 
in their safety as well. Injuries are going to happen, of course, but whenever you're trying these big ass spots, then we need to we need to be protecting. We need to be protecting them more importantly. Yeah, we spoke about it in previous episodes about you know we want all these guys and gals to be successful, but you know, uh, wrestling you only have a short amount of time to do it. You know, some folks get a couple matches, some get folks get a couple years, some folks might actually get you know fifteen twenty years or so, but. It's only for a portion of your life, and you know I don't want them to potentially have a foggy brain or you know not be able to kind of walk like you know Mick Foley has trouble doing. So again, if whatever it was, if you're gonna take a big spot and then you happen to go through a double stack of tables or whatever it is, let's let's you know I'll give Sammy credit. You know he may not be the most beloved character, but you know I appreciate Sammy the person who ends up. You know, he's like, you know, for for the match and everything, like, you know, whether he came up with a spot or was posed to him, he's like, you know, I'll, I'll I'm okay with doing this. You know, we set it up so that we can have a spectacular spot and then him not be, you know, break anything or potentially be ridiculously serious injured. Yeah, I like, like if it was proposed to him or if, whether or not he proposed it or whether it proposed to him, like the fact that he said yes. Uh, or the fact that he wanted to do this spot is just, um, it, it says so much that he wants to make this match more memorable. Uh, you said before, each of these guys had a spot uh, that they were made, uh, that they all had, um, like Daddy Magic and uh, Cool Hand Ange were just, they, they have been taking a lot of the brunt because you have your big horses. You're not going to be t- seeing uh, Jake Hager taking too many of these uh, things because, you know, he's a big, tough guy. He's got to be uh, seen to be nigh on invincible. Um, then you got the Danny Garcia and, and Wheeler Yuta spots, you know, absolutely uh, beating the tar out of each other. Um, so all these guys getting these spots, you know, sure, like we expect uh, Claudio, Jake, uh, Ortiz, uh, Jericho, John Moxley all to have these cool spots, but it's the other guys that I was really impressed with uh throughout this match and in my opinion they were actually the ones that made it more entertaining for me yeah in terms of uh, the match as a whole yeah guys guys like you know matt menard and angelo parker and wheeler and danny garcia you know definitely helped kind of fill in uh and plug some of the little bit of lulls and gaps in a yeah. You know, 45, 50 minute long match. So definitely kudos to those guys for sure. 100%. All right. We see the finish of the match where Jericho put Kingston and the walls of Jericho on top of the structure. Claudio climbed and booted Jericho to break up the submission. He gave Jericho the giant swing on top of the cage and went for a sharpshooter. But Matt Menard climbed up to cut him off. Kingston locks Jericho in the stretch plumb. Claudio applies the sharpshooter to Matt Menard, who taps out, giving the Blackpool Combat Club team the win. And we see after the match, Kingston was frustrated because he wanted to tap out Jericho, but Claudio won the match before he could. Yeah, and so this lends to our, our earlier point, or your earlier point. Um, it's really hard to, uh, to gas out Claudio because Claudio was up on the top of this ring giving... Jericho with the giant swing, and then you know got uh, got uh, Matt Menard into the uh, into the sharpshooter, 
And then after the victory, you know, it was so energetic and so hyped up, you know, probably more so than a lot of people that were in the match could possibly be. Like, you know, John Moxley is, is, is not a big fan of the heights. Like, John Moxley's like myself, wants to keep his feet firmly on the ground. You could see that when he was climbing up, like Claudio was offering his hand to everybody to, to, to help him on up the top. And bless those boys getting Bryce Rimsburg up there to raise their hands as well. I think um, uh, Bryce sent out a tweet. He was like, first, la- last, and only time we'll be up there. Yeah. So. It was good. It was good, oh, Bryce. Like, definitely uh, one of those things that he has an awful lot of um, interactions with these, uh, with these guys, good friends with Eddie Kingston, good friends with. Uh, Claudio, etc., all the way down the line, like good friends with these people, and it's nice to see that interaction that he went up there. Um, one of the one of the the, the underlying things that uh, was was said throughout the entire time was the issues that Claudio and Eddie have, um, and that's where the end of this match really came to head for me, where I was like, okay, cool, it's a nice little story that they're going to add in. Obviously, at the end of um, the end of Forbidden Door, which we'll talk about later on, there was allusions to it. And uh, here there was, um, you know, the, the whole thing where Claudio was trying to help Eddie up again, you know? So he was looking for the fist bump and he went to help him up. And Eddie was like, no, no, no. I can't remember exactly what he said. You couldn't really hear it, but you could, you could tell. He was mouthing it. He's like, no, I'm okay. I've hurt my back, so I can't get up, but I'm okay. He wasn't saying it like he was shouting it at him or he was rude. He was saying it, you know, dude, you know, I've hurt myself. Just leave me for a wee minute. Um, And then Cesaro went over and helped everybody else up. Like he was giving fist bumps to Eddie before the match started. So clearly, you know, suspending disbelief. They are friendly. And I like to see that because I don't think it's possible for anyone to hate Claudio. Uh, and you can easily see that by the fact that whenever you know, whenever he was in that match, he just had so much fun. And at the end of the match, he was running around on top of that kid. You were like, "Yes, yeah." Kudos again to Claudio being the first guy in, doing the whole match, and then yeah, being involved in the finish. Yeah, and then just crazy energy again, and just kind of doing laps around the top of the cage. So <laughs> no fear in that. Man. Yeah, no fear <laughs> at all. Every- Everybody else was legitimately just climbing up, and like I said, Moxie was like, "How the hell, Jack?" <laughs> if you watch it, if you watch it back, you'll see Mox was kind of going, "Uh, I don't really want to be getting up here." It takes his time climbing up and all this, and yeah, yeah. But yeah, you uh, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, little storytelling segments about uh, again where we had uh, Eddie putting the submission on Chris, and then Claudio putting the submission on Matt Menard, but he ends up. Uh, Matt ends up tapping out kind of to save Jericho, but then also, you know, just to kind of end the match and type of thing, sort of save his boss. But yeah, you could see that again, Eddie was appreciative that his team won, but disappointed that he wanted to be, because again, we spoke about it earlier for Eddie and, and Chris being sort of the catalyst. And this is the payoff to it. Again, uh, we had the anarchy in the arena match, and then now we had blood and guts, but again, sort of them being the proponent and guys that are kind of leading the charge in this. So again, he wanted to be the person to uh, submit or surrender Chris, but kind of Claudio stealing a little bit of the thunder. And again, this goes back to 15 plus years of Eddie and Claudio 
do not like each other. And they have a, and you can see a thing we'll talk about later on the uh, Forbidden Door thoughts and takeaways. But yeah, so begrudgingly they're working together against a common enemy in Chris and his uh, Legion of Doom, uh, in a sense. But his collection, his menagerie of villains. But yeah, it was it was tough. He begrudgingly accepted the victory, but you know, the little seeds were sown for more to come between Claudio and Eddie. I think Menagerie of Villains is um is a little bit too uh too much to uh describe these guys because whenever you come down in matching uh matching uniforms that have suspenders and uh wife beaters and flat caps uh and you have big jake hagar in the exact same thing not gonna lie it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek backstreet boys sort of they've fallen to the dark side of pop music kind of thing coming down <laughs> with floyd floyd the bat over uh jericho's shoulder so uh yeah menagerie of b-list villains let's say but it was still a very good match and uh yeah like you said to your point the um the uh the outcome of that match definitely shows to me that there might be some rest in store for the JAS and then some interaction for Claudio and uh and Eddie in the coming weeks yeah so kudos to all 10 of these guys just for man just putting on one heck of a match and um, you know, with Santana, unfortunately, just not having a, a big interaction in it. And again, we hopefully that he's not injured uh, hugely and, and, you know, that he's okay and everything is going to be all right with him. But yeah, everybody did a phenomenal job. And this is definitely a one to remember for sure. Oh, yeah. All right. And we definitely both enjoyed it. And definitely let us know in the comments down below or on Twitter or Instagram what your thoughts were on Blood and Guts. All right, as we move on to AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling's Forbidden Door, we do a little bit of thoughts and takeaways from this match. Um, one of the first ones we're going to highlight here is the uh, double tag team championship match, as we saw FTR as the Ring of Honor. Uh, champions take on the United Empire of Great O'Conn and Jeff Cobb, which were the IWGP heavyweight champions, tag champions rather, and facing off against uh, Rapongi Vice here. So the early portion of this match was highlighted by uh, Dax uh, going, being taken to the back with an apparent shoulder uh, injury here. But essentially, uh, Cash ended up fighting valiantly and getting some kind of fun back and forth between the uh, the resilient uh, Cash and then Rapongi Vice and obviously the big hosses in the Great Okan and Jeff Cobb. And we uh, cut to the finish here where we see Cobb hitting a standing moonsault on Rocky Romero and then Great Okan being tossed uh, Beretta into a German suplex from Cobb for a near fall. Romero took out uh, Cash Wheeler and Great Okan with a tope and then teamed up with Beretta for a strong zero on Cobb for a near fall. Harwood uh, tags himself in and gets caught with an O'Connor roll, which was probably a three count, but was only supposed to be a two. And then out of nowhere, Romero, uh, Romero and Harwood exchange some near falls, but then subsequently, here out of nowhere, Wheeler and Harwood hit the big rig on Romero to get the pin, and FTR are now the AAA 
Ring of Honor, and IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. Seven Star FTR um, are grit. Like you said, the, the start of this match was marred by a possible, legit, really bad uh, dislocation. Uh, I rewatched this little segment to see what could have happened. Maybe he tweaked it whenever he went for the uh, whenever he went for the elbow drop on the right side. It was actually his uh, left shoulder um, that ended up that ended up having an issue. So whatever 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 happened there, like you said, he came back eventually and uh, got it all sorted. Um, it was very, very good storytelling throughout this match with Cash having to tag out uh, to Rapongi Vice. Uh, the unfair athleticism of Jeff Cobb doing big man corn Cobb things with that standing, standing insult, insult was just it, it. We talked about this before. It makes me feel, you know, I already feel inadequate whenever you watch some of this uh, pro wrestling stuff back. Whenever you see uh, an athlete of Jeff Cobb's uh, stature, physique, just general power you don't expect him to be able to do that um and then like you said the o'connor roll on to dax followed by chance of you effed up you effed up um it was definitely a three count that was disguised as a two count uh maybe because of the shoulder issues obviously for dax i think we can let this slide but the AEW fans in attendance did not um it was another point where i rewound it and went it's like oh, it's 100 percent three like what anyway uh yeah. and then the big rig to finish off you were like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it was I, I love i love the big rig um and it was it's nice to see ftr and you know, it might also help that i did peg ftr to win on this one so yeah, I think in our predictions video, you definitely did pick uh, FTR flat out to win. Um, I mentioned too, I think for storyline purposes, uh, I wanted to see FTR win because again, having them three belts and then going to challenge the Young Bucks for the AEW and potentially the possibility of him holding four belts is a good storyline. But uh, out of uh, out of thing, I I was like, yeah, I'll just I want them to win, but I I picked uh, the United Empire, but. We were both in agreement that this was definitely going to be a fun match either way. And oh, it yeah. definitely uh, was, in fact. It was a great match. Great match. Definitely one that I would watch over and over and over again. Yeah. I have note here that the uh, it was later confirmed that the uh, supposed storyline injury of Dax for his shoulder was reported to be, again, just kayfabe and part of the story of the match, and he is not injured. Well, it was it, either way. It was really good because you had uh, you had Cash Wheeler shouting, "You're legal, pin him, pin him," um, and you know, you know, shouting, getting caught up, and that's why I like like being able to hear these random things that you can. It's like, you know, we heard Cash shouting, "Are you okay?" Like you know, he was asking genuinely, "Are you okay?" And you see Doc Samson coming over, checking, and you can see you know Dax whispering to his ear, and then the booze as Dax is let off later on as well. Um, I do like those little, none of these throwing up the, the symbols and stuff. Um, but uh, I do I do like these things uh, to be confirmed afterwards because whenever you see one of the best babyface teams in all of AEW, two of the most babyface individuals in the entire company, um, you, like, they've went from big heels to big babyfaces 
And I typically don't like babyface players because they're boring. But FTR are like two of my absolute top guys, and that's that's complete accident. They are top guys everywhere. Yeah, so glad at least that Dax is not hurt, and I and at least it was if it was confirmed to be part just of the story, of the match, then uh, I'm okay with it because it added another element to it. Definitely. All right, we see here we move on to the All-Atlantic Championship, the 4A match, uh, as we see Pac facing off against Clark Connors, Miro, and Malachi Black. Um, the early portion here, uh, and sort of the thread throughout the match here, was uh, Miro dominating the other three individuals in the match. We see Connors uh, end up hitting a uh, spear to Miro through a table on the outside, so having Miro end up getting a little bit of a reprieve. Connors uh, ends up hitting Black with a spinning power slam and then gets caught uh, caught Pack with a spear. And then Connors hitting the trophy kill on Pac, which was the inverted blue thunderbomb for a near fall. And the crowd just starts getting behind Connors with a let's go Clark. So definitely in a fantastic showing and a huge opportunity for Clark to get a uh, absolute tremendous eyes on him on a big stage as we hear. And then we uh, see Connors run in for a super kick on Pac, and then Pac wins going for a Black Arrow, but Malachi Black caught him. And we see the finish of the match that says we uh, end up setting up a Tower of Doom spot where Miro on the bottom and powerbombing everyone. And then uh, finally Miro tossed out Black and Connors, hit the Machka kick on Pac, and then locked the game over. And then Black hits, comes in and hits Miro with the Black Mist. Black tries to lock in Connors in a hold, uh, the uh, Juji Katami, but ends up uh, getting the Black Arrow onto both uh, of them for the uh, to break it up. And then lo Pac subsequently locks Connors in the Brutalizer and gets the tap out and wins the All-Atlantic Championship. Yeah, this was a great match. Much better than, much better than it had any intention of being. Um, the All-Oceans the Irish Ocean English Channel Dead Sea Championship belt um, being on pack is something we both called. Uh, and we, we did both also kind of state that Connors was going to be left out in the cold here. But he worked really well in this match. He took some really big spots. Uh, sorry, not took. He had some really big spots. Uh, like you said, getting those chance off uh, of, uh, of, of Let's of go him. Clark. Yeah. Let's go, Clark. You know, just just the chance of him being really, really uh, well received. It was really good to see. Uh, I think that uh, the commentators were saying, in 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 the best at best, he was giving up nine years of experience in wrestling, and at worst, sixteen years of experience. So I mean, this guy was way out of his depth, uh, but still managed to do some really cool stuff, um, and. Um, it was definitely uh, a nice little nod to the ongoing storyline of uh, the um, Kings of the Black Throne and and the uh, Death Triangle. Death triangle yeah. uh, whenever Malachi was going after Pack, and then you saw uh, Miro trying to get after Pack and pointing to his bicep and going, "No, this is my revenge. You're not taking this from me." And I was like. That's what it was. It was his freaking bicep. Because back in whenever Pac was Neville and Miro was uh, Rusev, 
there was um, there was an uh, an altercation where uh, Pac, uh, Pac had uh, I think it was uh, snapped the uh, tendon or something in the bicep, and that's why his bicep went all weird. But definitely put him on the shelf, and uh, it was it was that's why it was a surprise to me that these two were in the same ring because uh, Miro had said on his Twitch channel, I believe, ages ago, that he'd never work with him again. But um, I'm glad he did because they worked really well. Yeah, tremendous showing again by Clark Connors. Uh, he's only, you know, a couple of years out of the New Japan Dojo. So again, he he's may not be as experienced with the other guys, but he did. Uh, he worked well. He took some spots. He gave some spots. So again, tremendous showing by him. And then, uh, you know, I appreciated that the crowd in the arena definitely noticed that and gave him, you know, uh, some chance as well. And I do, I did find it kind of interesting again that it was, the uh, Malachi Black at one point that you were speaking of the Malachi Black and then Miro were kind of like fighting over no I want to beat him up no I want to beat him up and it made me think of the uh, the old Simpsons reference it's okay boys you both can have me type of thing <laughs> but yeah kind of letting the uh, their sort of personal kind of animosity towards uh, Pac uh, Mr. Bastard himself if you're nasty yeah yeah. Um, kind of coming to play and then fighting each other because they both wanted to get at him. But yeah, uh, you and I both called it that we we were looking to see Pac win the championship and definitely a long time coming. This would be uh, Pac's for, first uh, championship in AEW. And hopefully not his last. Hopefully you can parlay this into uh, bigger and better things down the line. Yeah, it's a tremendous matchup for sure. Uh, next one we're going to look at is Will Ospreay facing off against Orange Cassidy for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. Um, and then we end up getting a little controversy as we see Juice Robinson sitting up in the skybox again as the previous holder of the belt who is stripped by New Japan but still holds physical um, possession of the belt itself. So. I have note here that Osprey just looks gigantic next to Orange Cassidy. And again, like it's uh, not to say that he's like a uh, crazy tall or a bodybuilder, you know, great, you know, six foot seven, 300 pounds of muscle. But, you know, even though Orange Cassidy is, you know, a very fit individual, like Will just looked like huge next to him, which is really cool to help kind of help him, uh, even though he's elevated into the heavyweight division in new japan uh kind of helped parlay that and it was sort of a nice visual there um back and forth uh you know the kind of going with the athleticism playing off the uh the kawada kicks spot with two cassidy and then him just kind of like doing his orange style kawada uh wills like bruh like seriously this guy so hmm? Um, and then the, again, the athleticism kicking in the, uh, suplex into the stun dog millionaire spot by orange was fantastic, but we see the finish here as Osprey, uh, ends up getting a cutter on him. And then, uh, uh, we go, uh, see he misses, uh, he gets the os cutter for a near fall. He goes for the hidden blade, but Cassidy avoids it. Osprey then goes for the Stormbreaker, but then, uh, Cassidy counters for a hurricane Rana into a cradle for dang near a uh, uh, near fall 2.99 in fightum and then uh osprey hit the hidden blade but only gets to two and the crowd goes absolutely nuts osprey was shocked but he ends up going for the stormbreaker and gets the pin 
and retains the IWGP United States Championship. The athleticism from both of these guys was insane. Definitely, in terms of all the matches on this card, I was expecting good things. Uh, I was obviously I'd, I'd stated before in previous weeks that Osprey coming in has uh, has kind of wanted me to uh, and the United Empire and as a whole, obviously with my fanaticism for Jeff Cobb doing big corn cob things, um, like uh, Billy Goat just doing absolute nutty things here. Um, like you said, the Kawada kicks that he was doing, and then <laughs> Orange copying his sloth style Kawada kicks, uh, only to give him actual Kawada kicks to the face. Uh, his his psychology was definitely on show here. Uh, there was a there was a spot up on one of the 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 top middle rope, whatever it was, where uh, Orange just smacked uh, Osprey's face off the, the, the corner camera, and then he kind of got down onto the onto the mat and then threw himself onto the ground and just started to make a ruckus because he dazed uh, he dazed Osprey. Osprey just goes for a backflip and do a backflip. And you know, just kind of just sh- showing off uh, how athletic he was. Um, and Into more a the, standing uh, shooting star press. Into yeah. a standing shooting star press. Sorry, yes, uh, that was the fi- that was the finish of that sequence. Um, and then you know, the, the psychology of Orange Cassidy in this match was was even more on show when uh, Osprey did go for a nos cutter off the middle rope or the, the whatever it was, and Orange just takes a step back and. It's nothing. It was just so good. Like those little things that you saw from Orange Cassidy, uh, you were just like, "Wow!" Like this guy, you know, this guy obviously has a stigma about him that is um, uh, a comed- only a comedic wrestler. Uh, obviously, that's what his gimmick is, and uh, that's the way he plays it. He plays it really well, but he has that switch that he just, um, yeah, he 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 can go with the best of them and. Will Ospreay is is definitely one of the best of them, uh, and this match was for me personally match of the night. Yeah, you and I called it in our previous episode where we did predictions. We both saw Osprey winning in this matchup, but we both made note to keep an eye on this particular matchup because again, we know that Will Osprey can go, um, and then obviously when uh, Orange turns it on, dude, dude can be absolutely athletic and really kind of just play off and can go with some of the best of them. So I am in agreement that this was definitely match of the night contender. Um, yeah. And then again, just all around, just the athleticism was, was just undeniable in this matchup. Yeah. Insane. And uh, as a special note here, uh, after the match, we end up having Aussie Open beating up Cassidy and uh, fellow members of Chaos, Rocky Romero and Trent Beretta come in, but then end up getting laid out. But then the music hits and the arena goes absolutely nuts as we see Katsuyori Shibata come down to the ring. Ends up taking out Aussie Open and then... uh, and then he hits Osprey with a pump kick, and then he does the corner drop kick, of course, and he goes for the rear naked choke, but then Aussie Open pulls him out to save Osprey. But holy crap, the pop for Shibata was unreal. Yeah, his music hit, and they made mention of a guy holding a sign, if I hear Shibata's music, I'm going to cry. And, you know, Kevin was like, get that man a Kleenex, like 100%. <laughs> 
I I have no idea, and I've made no bones about not knowing NJPW, but even I had goosebumps. Like just because of the level of the pop, you can't help but get drawn into the excitement for whoever this was. And I went and looked up who Shibata was or is rather, and he, he's he's got some accolades. Uh, unfortunately, he he's a, a proponent of a headbutt and has done himself some serious injury and on top of other injuries and whatnot. So please, everybody, stop using a headbutt. Stop it. Just stop it. Flat out. Don't use it anymore. Uh, unless you're going to do the old Glasgow kiss and uh, you know have your hand in front of your your forehead anyway. But anyway, regardless, this was just amazing. The little after segment uh, with him and uh, him and Cassidy. Clearly, there was uh, him wanting to have a little bit of a spotlight with uh, with Cassidy as well. But he was wearing glasses and stuff. He looked cool as hell. Again, uh, I too got goosebumps when when I heard the music, and then I was like, "Is it?" And then Shibata showed up on the ramp. Yeah, I was just like, "Wow, okay, they're just." They're going for broke in the in this thing, and and I appreciated the the crowd. You know, there was conjecture or there was criticism. It was like, oh, critics were like, nobody's gonna know who these New Japan guys were, and the crowd and everybody knew, and and appropriately gave the appropriate reactions to all the New Japan uh, participants in this, uh, at in this uh, pay per view. So, yeah, there was like, I don't really think that anybody can say that about um anybody at the minute because they've lost lost their minds at uh, okada's entrance they've lost their minds when tanahashi appeared they lost their minds to shibata's entrance they sing along to suzuki's entrance like how can anyone stay say that you know and this is someone who doesn't know an awful lot about the njpw wrestlers how can anyone say that uh, that a crowd of pro wrestling fans that is going to this event that is paying money to go to this event is not going to react to these wrestlers are you stupid like are you legitimately dumb because i wouldn't go to something that i didn't know at least something about so come on guys this was an absolutely amazing reaction drew me in gave me goosebumps for somebody i didn't know who it was got me to go and look up who they were you know come on it was amazing yeah, and uh, to to not to not sell short of Shibata who he is again. Uh, if you have an opportunity, if you're a little, if you're curious as to who this individual is, a little bit of context, and he's part of the uh, the sort of newer Three Musketeers alongside Hiroshi Tanahashi and Shinsuke Nakamura, just three talented guys coming out of the dojo and just being top tier talent. And uh, again, you mentioned he ended up uh, a couple years back, ended up just. Having a bit of injury, if uh, injury uh, due to some headbots, headbutt spots again. Unfortunately, if I'm not mistaken, a subdural hematoma, which is absolutely serious injury. So he's now in his role as the trainer of the LA dojo. But notwithstanding, um, yeah, dude's a big deal, uh, and just he got the appropriate reaction. Yeah, he de- he definitely got a reaction that was deserving of the person, the stature that he is. And speaking of phenomenal reactions from the crowd, the next matchup ended up being Zack Sabre Jr. against Brian Danielson's proxy, which now we know, of course, turns out to be Big Tony Swiss man himself, Claudio Castagnoli, 
and the absolute the Superman, Swiss Superman himself, and the pop and reaction from the crowd was another goosebumps moment for me. See him. I was, I was watching it, and because I didn't know his indie theme, and the the camera wasn't on the ramp, I was like, okay, okay, and I just heard this pop. And I was like, is it? Is it? Is it? Because already Zack Saber Junior's in the thing, so. Is it Claudio? Is it Claudio? And then it turns, I runs out. I'm like, yes! I was, I was legitimately screaming at 10 a.m. watching this thing. Yes! And just, I was so excited. Like, I don't know why. Because, <laughs> like, this is one thing that I was like, okay, it has to be Claudio in this match. He's obviously going to win. But big thing was big, and I popped appropriately. And this is one thing that, I had known who Shibata was, I probably would have done the same thing for him, and I would have lost my mind there. But I lost my mind here instead, so it was great. Yeah, it was one of those where obviously the unfortunate having uh, Brian Danielson just being not medically cleared, but it's one of those where you run circles in your mind about who could it be. I, you know, and then you with with the notion of it being a mystery opponent you end up kind of doing the hype for yourself and kind of hyping yourself up and i'm like all right in my brain it's going to be this person and if it's not i'm going to be disappointed uh but exactly. it, again it turned out that uh it sort of was uh you know pretty much who the collective internet wrestling community thought it was going to be and we were pleasantly surprised and we had the appropriate reaction to that yeah, uh, maybe in some some maybe for some people it was an overreaction because it was really really good. Like it was obscene uh, to see this man back in action uh, and just jump out onto the uh, jump out onto the ramp and yeah, like I said um, or like you said rather, we, we build this up into our mind and if we're wrong, we're kind of feel, feel a bit let down. But like so, if it had been anyone else other than Claudio, I'd have been like yes really cool but it was claudio so my reaction was more like this um so yeah it was definitely one of those things that having talked about blood and guts earlier it was a great thing that claudio was in that match as well so to see him here and to see his his aw debut uh the match notwithstanding this was definitely a highlight of uh a highlight of the pay-per-view for me definitely as well all right, the next one we're going to highlight is the uh, four-way for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship as we see champion Jay White uh, take on Hangman Adam Page, Kazuchika Okada, and Adam Cole Bebe. As we get into the introductions, Okada gets the largest ovation of the four, uh, for sure. And then we, uh, as we get into the, uh, as the bell rings... But no one will know these NJPW wrestlers, PT. Remember, no one will know them. That's correct. Of course, we were pleasantly surprised. And then as the bell rang, the crowd absolutely loses their mind before anyone ever does anything in this matchup. So that was a nice touch. An early plot thread in the uh, matchup here is we see the pseudo reunion of uh, Bullet Club members Adam Cole and Jay White kind of working together against Hangman and Okada. We see the finish here as Okada hits a landslide on Cole and then uh, goes for a Rainmaker, but we see uh, Cole sort of uh, fall to his knees and ends up uh, kind of cutting out there. But we have Jay White run in and hits Okada with a Blade Runner and then rushes over to Cole for the uh, for the three count. 
Um, and it appears uh, from things considered that Cole was hurt during the match, a little bit earlier on towards the middle portion of the uh, segment. Um, and then we hear from Excalibur that he was uh, at least able to walk to the back under his own power. Yeah. Um, so for for me, I was trying to find the, the point at which I, I, I kind, kind of assume that uh, Adam Cole was injured. Um, the match was fantastic up to this point, and it was definitely a it was definitely uh, a deflating end. I'm not going to say disappointing because you can't blame anyone for getting injured, but apparently the sequence of events leading up to that was how it was supposed to go. So Okada was supposed to hit the Rainmaker, uh, you were supposed to have Jay White come in, um, hit his move, and then pin Adam Cole. Like That was apparently supposed to be the way to go. The uh, the fact that Adam Cole kind of lost his his weight under him and the, the Rainmaker missed, uh, just made that sort of sequence of events a little bit a little bit janky and not fit so well, which is why it was a bit surprising that it happened and why the reaction from the crowd was one of disbelief. Um, it did look like was one of the moves near the end uh, that Okada did on Cole because up till then he was super kicking, he was you know doing some moves and he was quite active. Uh, there was also tell that uh, Adam Cole possibly suffered a concussion. Um, so there are several things in there that possibly all led up to the fact that Cole just sort of lost his 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 sort of uh, ability to keep himself up. Um, but hopefully uh, it's not as bad as we uh, are assuming because, like you said, uh, he did manage to make his way to the back under his own steam, which is really good to see. So no knee injuries at the, the, the present time, possibly a shoulder aggravation, because I know he had a shoulder issue. Um, he did have kinesio tape on one of his shoulders as well. So um, I know I'm talking more about the injury than the match. Like the match itself, there's not much you can say about it because you need to see it. It's one of those matches where there was spot after spot that wheeled into each other, storyline telling of, Adam Cole giving Jay White direction, Jay White you know, giving that sort of uh, reciprocation and then getting the backstabber, which was apropos for what he was doing. And it was just amazing. It was a really good match. And as a very first time uh, seeing Okada in a match, I felt that uh, it was good. It wasn't mind-blowing. Uh, and I think that's probably down to the end, the ending of the match. Uh, so it's nothing that I can put down on uh, Okada himself. Yeah, and uh, if we did a sort of uh, sequence by sequence breakdown, it wouldn't do the match justice. So we definitely one of those that we highly recommend checking out. Um, yeah, and again, New Japan is very rare for a singles title. I think Kevin Kelly mentioned it, but very, very, very rare. Almost never happens at a single title is contested in anything other than a one-on-one -on -one match. So this was a little uh, different and kind of out of the ordinary for that. But yeah, um, to your point, four guys that can just absolutely go in a match and, you know, type of thing. We got a little bit of from each individual. But yeah, in terms of folks that aren't familiar with uh, Jay White or Okada, got to, again, get a little bit of a taste. And, and to your point about maybe not not notice or not kind of seeing that potentially full potential 
Um, when these guys can kind of get that, when a Jay White or an Okada especially can get that sort of longer 30 to 40 minute, and you can see the beginning, middle, and end move sequence, storytelling, little plot points in that, that's when definitely, again, guys like Okada shine, but notwithstanding. Um, phenomenal, fun match, and yeah, we just hope that the injury, again, we talked about in previous episode, the injury bug has been hitting the entire wrestling world hard as of late, and we uh, we spoke about uh, Adam Cole having a uh, injury to his uh, shoulder, uh, a labrum tear potentially, and now this, again, we just hope he's uh, he's okay, and uh, again, AEW's got a stacked roster, dude, take the time uh, to, to get yourself better. Um, maybe if, uh, he's definitely not having him wrestle and type of thing, if he comes and maybe he was doing some commentary before we get that, it's a bonus, but yeah, let the, let the guy take the time that he needs so he can come back and we can have Adam Cole for the long term. I definitely think that adding him into the commentary team, uh, would be really, really good to keep him on our screens. Um, should he require the time away? Let's face it, take the time away. You know, if it's a big injury, uh, same thing with CTE, take all the time he needs. Uh, We've already heard rumors about Kenny Omega that he says if he has one more major setback in his his, uh, physio, in his reconstruction, basically, he's done with wrestling. So, you know, please do not, um, please do not uh, rush back into anything. And that goes for everybody who got injured, you know, try and take care of yourself obviously i know that the passion is there for a lot of people that they want to get back as soon as possible and that these guys are all uh, these guys and girls are all uh really athletic and their bodies will heal a little bit faster but definitely do take the time uh, and get yourself uh, get yourself correct so that we can have you wrestling for another few years as opposed to another few months 100 percent all right, and the last matchup we're going to look at today is John Moxley facing off against Hiroshi Tanahashi for the in, the vacant interim AW World Heavyweight Championship. So uh, all around just kind of fun matchup here, definitely going back and forth. We see the contrast of styles of looking at the little bit more rugged and kind of, uh, I wouldn't extreme's not the right word, but rough and tough John Moxley facing off against the a little bit more well-rounded and finesse-driven offense of Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, we end up seeing a uh, Tanahashi hitting uh, Moxley with a sling blade and then sending Moxley out to the floor. There was conjecture whether or not they may have collided heads because we see Moxley coming up with a uh, uh, laceration on his head. Uh, but yeah, we see end up Tanahashi coming up the top rope with a uh, high fly flow to him on the floor. And then we see the finishing uh, sequence here. Tanahashi fights out of a bulldog choke and counters uh, a rear naked choke with a cradle for a two. Moxley hitting the King Kong lariat, but only getting a one count and uh, kind of powering up. And uh, I don't want to say Hulk up, redacted. But, I, yeah. I was about to say that was a Hulk Hogan <laughs> moment right there for me. It was like, okay. Uh, Moxley hammered uh, Tanahashi with some elbows to 12 to 6, and the crowd starts booing Moxley, interestingly enough. Uh, Moxley locked in another choke with a body scissors and the crowd starting to chant go ace for Tanahashi and we see Moxley try to bulldog choke but Tanahashi fought out and Moxley then hits the death rider which is the high angle elevated 
double arm DDT for the pinfall, winning the AEW Interim World Heavyweight Championship. No one will know who these New Japan wrestlers are. Go Ace. Go Ace. John Moxley. Are you serious? If you watch this, uh, if you watch this pay-per-view, I can guarantee you two things. You're gonna get goosebumps, you're gonna bloody enjoy it. And it's not just because of the AEW wrestlers either. Like these NJPW stars are more than holding their own. I would say even go and watch the pre-show. I don't like pre-shows. I hate them. Probably because WWE has conditioned me to hate them because all it is is Booker T talking. Anyway, he normally gets it wrong anyway, so whatever. Um, so you have all of these amazing stars, and then you cap this off with Mox and Tanahashi. And yeah, the uh, the <laughs> the King Kong lariat with the one kind. I was like, excuse me? Who do you think you are, Hulk Hogan? Uh, like just popping straight up, then the, the immediate booze of Moxley as he's getting his gritty offense in, and um, yeah, uh, another thing where they were just talking about, uh, I think it was um, a match that Tanahashi had had before. What was it that he had the match with? Doesn't matter. Uh, he said that he didn't like the violence of the match, and then he gets put it, through a table. It might have been the matchup with Kenta, but yeah, that was it. It was Kenta, um, and. Uh, he said he didn't like he he was glad he won the match, but he didn't like the match at all because the violence and stuff in it. So Mox is a really bad opponent for him, if that's the case. So he, he goes through the table and they make mention of the 20 count in NJPW and the fact that he makes it in in for the count of 10, uh, being aware of the rules. Uh so you know, it just it just makes you aware that Tanahashi is he's aware of the different rules, uh, and he's not going to be counted out for something silly, you know. He's not. This is he, this is not a rookie. And then you get the chance of go ace and stuff. And um, like I said, the booze. John Moxley was the most surprising thing ever because this man is universally loved. Like how how do you go from John Moxley being adored on his entrance way, like he legitimately walked to the ring and was mobbed, loved. And then he's getting booed because he's beating Tanahashi up. You're like, okay, cool. And then the the ending of it was just uh, sublime uh, with the Death Rider and the eventual pin. And, you know, um, yeah, I, I can't say enough good words about this man. Yeah, another banger of a match for sure. Uh, we both agreed that the safe bet was for John to win the match, of course. Yep. Um, but yeah, that speaks to the volume of the storytelling for these two uh, in the matchup. Because again, you have the the sort of rough and tough of John Moxley against the uh, sort of slightly more finesse style of Tanahashi. Um, for large portions of the match, you had John. I wouldn't say dominating, but he was just like you know, it was sort of a, a, a rough matchup um, and got a lot of offense on Tanahashi. And especially during those, uh, the last, you know, three to four to five minutes of the matchup, you know, you, you felt the fans like, all right, we're rallying against, you know, rather for Tanahashi with the go ace yeah. chance, you know, everything. And they're just like, all right, you know, damn, like this guy's like, ooh. So, you know, you get that uh, fighting from underneath uh, effect uh, for, uh, for Tanahashi. But yeah, again, even though they were both fan favorites for sure, 
you see the the little the weaving of the story in the match so i can yeah i can see it's understandable as to why the folks are definitely again they both they crowd likes both guys but they're just like all right go ace let's go so yeah yeah we, we're, we're picking our favorite we're picking this horse and this is the one we want um and uh the other horses is, is even though we love that other horse you know don't you win don't you dare yeah. we want this one to win yeah, uh, definitely awesome to see John, uh, and, and now a two-time AEW World Heavyweight Championship, holding the interim distinction. Uh, but we see post-match, uh, they have a, a respect spot between John and uh, Tanahashi, but gets interrupted by uh, Jericho and his uh, his rogues gallery, and then uh, leading to uh, basically a whole uh, schmaz and a big, big brawl Again, feeding into the aforementioned blood and guts matchup. Yeah, with uh, with Claudio having pride of place, getting his music played as he runs down to the ring and you know gives people the uh, the giant swing, uh, just because. So this is definitely uh, this after brawl uh, finished off the match. Probably was slotted in because of the injuries. Uh, the injury sustained in the IWGP match um, with the abrupt end there was rushed. Uh, as what I heard, at least, was the fact that this little bit was added in to use up that extra time. Um, so yeah, it was a nice little respect spot interrupted by, of course, the JAS. Uh, but we all know what they got. They got their comeuppance uh, from the, uh, in the Blood and Guts match. So I don't feel so bad. So we definitely enjoyed Forbidden Door, and those were kind of some of our highlights and our thoughts and our takeaways. Uh, let us know down in the comments below on YouTube, or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram to let us know your thoughts on Forbidden Door as well. Definitely do, because this is one pay-per-view that I think everybody needs to watch at least once or twice more. Agreed. All right, time for some quick hits. Uh, once again, quick hits are little segments that happen throughout the week's uh, events that we really enjoyed or we sort of pop the boys segments. All right, we already talked about a couple of uh, pieces throughout, most notably Claudio's debut as well as Shibata coming in being uh, ones that we spoke about at Mill. Uh, but we have uh, some extra here. Uh, so I'll start us off today. Um, this actually happened during the... Main event of the Forbidden Door buy-in show, which is the pre-show, we end up having uh, Max Caster and the Gun Club, Austin, Colton, and Billy, uh, taking on new J members of the New Japan LA Dojo. Uh, but as we are about to kick things off into the matchup, we have Danhausen coming up on the screen and saying he's got a surprise for Colton and Austin. And what do we hear? We're the ass boys, mm, Billy ass and the ass boys, mm. <laughs> none other than Danhausen's uh, made commissioned a theme for the aforementioned ass boys, which is absolutely phenomenal and fun, uh, produced and actually uh, created by the incomparable two minutes to late night. So I absolutely popped huge. When I heard that song come on. I'm not going to lie to the scene. I had this big cheesy grin. And that's why it was so, I was, I was so happy. I watched the, the buy-in, the, uh, the pre-show, whatever you want to call it. Like this was, this was a huge pop for me as well. 
It was so hilarious. I love Don Hoysen. <laughs> Absolutely. To, uh, you know, obviously the, it was a fun matchup uh, there, but totally, totally fun. I absolutely lost my gall when I heard that. And uh, for those folks that are unfamiliar with Two Minutes to Late Night, they are a YouTube and content creating uh, group. Uh, especially they are, they end up making, especially with, during this past quarantine, made a ton of awesome music covers that covered a wide genre of, of music. And in addition to making music, they have a, a, a bit of kind of a just sort of weird, fun comedy piece. So if you have an opportunity, definitely uh, check them out. They, uh, they have a lot of fun content. So that was my uh, that was my quick hits, uh, Joker. Do you have any quick hits from this week? I have one, and in typical Joker fashion, I have picked the 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 one thing that outside of the ones that we have uh, already talked about made me laugh and or giggle and or just generally feel sports entertained. And uh, it was the debut of the Maximum Meal Models uh, on Friday Night SmackDown this week where we see Max Dupree come to the ring to do his uh, talking segment. I'm so happy this is, this is going on. The weeks of teasing uh, are over. We now get to see Massé and Monsoir, as they are now known, come to the ring giving us these the, the struts obviously not quite comfortable in the male model personas just yet but come on they're 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 not outside a um uh, or rather in front of a live tv audience not a dark match everybody complaining that uh oh we've known about these people for weeks shut up this is fun this is sports entertainment this is entertainment yes we've known about it for weeks who the heck cares just enjoy it. These guys are. They're finally getting on TV. Come on. And I just absolutely love this part, this bit because whenever they each came out, he was Max was just describing them, you know, the 36-inch the, the waist, the ankles, the fanny, pra, the fanny pack across Monsieur's, uh, or Monsoir's chest, sorry. Uh, I loved it. Loved everything about it. I appreciated the fact that... Uh... Marseille and uh, a Monsoir were actually Monsoir. were actually trying to give they were trying to give it socks and and work the gimmicks so I at least appreciated that for sure yeah like you just saw Marseille just going up to the the cameras and giving these poses and you're just like you're just he's given he's given the chest you know he's just getting the chest uh, if he had any hamburger meat it would probably would have been out but he's trying he's trying to pose and stuff and I'm I'm just butchering it now but it just looked so fun like. This is this is an angle that these guys can have fun with, and um, I'm sorry, but Mon Monsieur never got on TV before, unless it was um, for a Saudi show. Yeah. So him yeah. to be on TV now, I'm genuinely happy for Monsieur. Like Mon this Monsieur character, Massé, uh, you know, I don't care what they're called, but these guys being on TV and the Max Monsieur. And uh, Mace, you know, the triple M, the maximum male models. Yes, next week we get to see the Wimbledon-themed tennis uh, attire. And even though I'm not a big tennis uh, follower, I can't wait to see them all with their little stupid jumpers tied around their, their shoulders. 
Do you recall what like sort of the like last couple lines was it? Something something titillating. We're going to titillate the juices of your desires or something like this here. Titillate. Yeah, titillate the juices. Yeah, it was titillate the juices. I was like, Max, this is a PG show. Calm down. But yeah, they definitely titillated whatever whatever I had because that was that was funny. I agree that was pure bollocks, but I enjoyed that too. I was like, what is going on? Sports entertainment, my friend. That's all that WWE professes to give us. And I haven't been entertained by anything that they've done for a long time. So congratulations. I've been sports entertained. I agree too. And uh, those were our quick hits from this week. Let us know what your quick hits were as well. All right, and that about wraps it up for us. Uh, Joker, how was it for you? Because that was fun for me, man. Yeah, it was good. I've actually already submitted my application to Max Dupree's Maximum Meal Models, so keep your eyes glued to next week's uh, Wimbledon-themed outing. Yeah, but definitely uh, awesome, fun matchups uh, during this Forbidden Door, as well as Blood and Guts. And then, yeah, just kind of fun week overall. Lots of, I mean, highs and lows for sure. 100%. All right, so for TF Joker. Thank you very much for joining us on this crazy wrestle-filled week. And for me, Pretty Tony, we thank you for your time and letting us be a part of your day. And remember, be good to yourself, be good to each other, and we catch you next time. Peace.